Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Whoever says sport and politics don't mix have apparently not been following events in Britain in the last 24 hours. Owen and Murph here with Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Salutations, Owen. Is it a coincidence, Kieran? Is it any coincidence at all that this bombshell arrives today? Andrea Leadsom quits the race to become Prime Minister. This happens on Monday afternoon, less than a day after one of the UK's top sportsmen went out of his way at his moment of greatest triumph to warn of the difficulties attached to just such a position. Um, the Prime Minister of the country as well here uh, to, uh, You know, I think playing in a Wimbledon final is tough, but I certainly wouldn't like to be the Prime Minister. It's an impossible job, so... Uh, so there you go. I knew at that moment that Andrea Leadsom... Or Theresa May, I knew one of them was going to quit. Mm. Like a <laughs> moment of uh, moment of clarity provided yeah. by uh, by Andy Murray. I'm not sure why Murray uh, chose that moment to heap heap reflected praise on David Cameron, who was beaming. Murph, he was beaming. Apparently, the fact that the, even though he's being booed roundly there, mm. or at least booed by a lot of people, that the feeling of being booed by many members of the public is apparently outweighed at this moment in time for David Cameron by being praised in a sort of uh, sideways way by. The country's top sports person. I think. Um, yeah. I think in a situation like Andy Murray just found himself in there, it's one of those situations where you just see something and you start talking about it. I mean, it's not like you know it's a prepared speech where it's like you know what, if yeah. I win today, I'm gonna make sure to mention that guy, that guy that David Cameron. Cameron. He's had a really he's had a tough go of it, tough, a tough couple yeah. of weeks. So I just think you know, you know. There, there, there's David Cameron. <laughs> Let's say something oh look, about him. my mum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that that may have had more to do with Possibly. it than um, you know any sort of political statement he was making. There's so many superstars around there uh, that it's it's almost hard to pick one out, though. Mm. It the, is. The, the A-listers in. The A-listers at Wimbledon. Is it just easier to... You know, we saw Beyonce and Jay-Z there the other day. Bradley Cooper seemed to be there quite a lot this year. Read a very good article on uh, The Ringer, you know, Bill Simmons' oh, uh, yeah, yeah. new website, about the evolution of Bradley Cooper at Wimbledon, which I thought was was pretty good. So he, he starts out... I mean, you remember, of course, the selfie that he did with Jared Butler that kind of announced... You know, announced uh, mm-hmm. uh, Cooper on the stage as a Wimbledon A-lifter, mm-hmm. and now he's like in Roger Federer's box. I mean, it's totally bizarre. Like Anna Wintour is in Roger Federer's. Like, what the hell is going on? You know, like that's supposed to be an area for coaches 
and then, you know, some family members. But like, see, at least Anna Wintour still dresses up for it as if, as if it's kind of a day out, you mm. know. Okay, so I've got great seats. Here I am. You know, she's the editor of Vogue. She's not. She's hardly going to be in there in a pair of sweats. Anyway, no, she's so. going to. She's she's going to think about her appearance. There's no doubt about that. Well, that's fine. Bradley Cooper was like literally wearing, you know, like a sports T-shirt, and he looked like a coach. Everything about him said, "I'm Roger Federer's coach." <laughs> I mean, I had to double check just to see if that actually is Bradley Cooper in there. Yeah. I mean, what the hell's he doing? There was a moment during the uh, Serena game. I saw this. Mm. Um, you know, this kind of was tweeted afterwards or whatever, where. Somebody was saying, I, I just would love to have this relationship with Serena Williams' mum. So Beyonce sitting behind, Serena, behind Serena's mum. At one stage, I don't know if Serena's mother got the nod from behind or just thought it would be good to offer it. But she abs- sort of distractedly picked up a bottle of water from in front of her and without smiling, just passed it back behind. As though she's passing it to one of the, one of the yeah. kids. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, come on, have your water. You know, it's, it's like the family going to a GA match and a bunch in there and it's here you take that come on I'm trying to watch we're trying yeah, to watch the yeah, game yeah. here and uh, Beyonce's going thank you I'll, I'll have a sip of that uh, it's kind of strange that's why it's weird like what the hell is going on you also see all of this because it's so much more confined yeah. than a football game yeah. directors do their best to pick out the, the celebrities of football matches but it can be often quite difficult amongst 70 or 80,000 people whereas when I don't know exactly how many what the capacity is of centre court but I would imagine a good a good 10 to 20% of those people are extremely well known. But, I mean, there's a place right beside the players' box. It's called the Royal Box. <laughs> I mean, how much posher do A-listers actually want? I mean, sit in the Royal Box. I mean, there's room in there. You're an A-lister. I'm sure you can get a ticket for in there. Mm-hmm. But the players' box, I mean, I just find it pretty weird. I was on the couch, Murph, mm-hmm. flicking over, flicking between Wimbledon yeah. and the Connacht Football Final. Mm-hmm. Safe to say, slightly different. Well, for a start, the amount of rain on the cameras on, at times made it difficult to see exactly was, what was going on in Salt Hill. What was it like to be there? I was gratified uh, watching it back last night to see that there, there, wa- there was some indication of just how bad it was on television. Because, you know, sometimes you're at events that are absolutely awful and then you go and watch the highlights and it's like, well, it doesn't <laughs> looks okay, look that bad. Yeah. Maybe I just imagined getting, you know, half drowned. <laughs> but uh, people laughed at me on, as I said on Twitter yesterday. People laughed at me when they said I couldn't get from uh, Dublin, from the RT Radio uh, Centre, to Pierce Stadium in three hours. They laughed in my face. And of course, they were right. (laughs) Because that was an impossible job. Uh, Got reached uh, the first of Galway's many, well, previously roundabouts, now traffic light. The one with the two F's in it? Uh, That that always confused me. French, I think it says. French, yeah, yeah. yeah. As in the, yes, Percy French, the writer. Oh, that's not that confusing then. My apologies. No, 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 it's still reasonably confusing. I mean, it still does look like a typo. Yeah, exactly. If Percy was sitting here in front of me, I'd tell him, your name's a typo. (laughs) But, uh, uh, no, I I reached the first of the junctions at 12.52. And even at that, even though I knew there was only two miles to my designated parking spot, which I'd carefully chosen on mm-hmm. to ensure that there was no, you know, fannying about. Uh, I had about two miles to go and I was like, I'm not going to make this game. <laughs> and so it, so it proved a full hour to drive two miles and then uh, sprint through the rain. Um, like, uh, like in many ways, uh, the end of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Only instead of Audrey Hepburn, I had my brother John uh, panting, uh, <laughs> panting quite heavily. Uh, I thought actually that I'd killed my brother. Uh, 
he works as a film and television editor, so his life is basically sitting in front of a TV screen for 12 hours eating burritos. <laughs> uh, so I thought that I'd killed him. Uh, in the end, we, we met it. I think there was about 17 minutes gone in the Connacht final. I mean, I knew that it was going to be tough, so I wasn't like I felt robbed or anything like no. that. But uh, as it turns out, it was probably 17 less minutes. I was going to say, there's an argument that you didn't miss much. We're going to talk hurling later with Maggie Clerken and Liam Griffin, Wexford's last All-Ireland winning manager after their shock, shock-ish, kind of shocking win against Cork. Maybe it's not that shocking, but certainly a huge deal for them. <laughs> Oshie McConville and Carol Mannion, though, are ready to reflect on the football. Lads, how are you? Hey, how are you? Uh, Murph has described this game to me, this kind of final, as so bad, Carl, with the conditions so brutal and with both teams having so much work to do that a replay was probably not a bad outcome. Yeah, I remember I sat in the Hogan stand for the Donegal carried uh, final 2014 and I said to my mate about 10 minutes from the end, if this goes to a replay, I'm definitely not going to the, to that <laughs> replay. Uh, now, I have a vested interest in this game and I will go to the replay, but for any neutrals watching or any neutrals at the game, like it was a terrible watch. How much, how, how much leeway do you give players and management based on how wet and horrible the conditions were so I actually played in the Connacht final in 2011 against Mayo where the conditions were worse there was a lot stronger of a breeze and the rain was worse the pitch was worse than the height as well and the same feeling of a terrible game and a bad quality didn't come out of that game both teams went for the game that day uh, and both teams made ch- mistakes throughout the second half and created, let the other team in for scores. Mayo pulled it to our, away towards the end from us. We had a goal chance, but everyone was still going for the game. Everyone was putting in their as much effort as they could to win the game. So the weather's nothing to do with it, essentially, or, well, very, or very little. Well, like, I don't think there was a, a massive amount of basic handing errors or bad passes yesterday. It was just the decision by both teams how conservative they were going to be when they got the ball and working it up the pitch and when they met the defence that they're going to meet. Like Roscommon, it was going to be, it was well flagged in advance for Roscommon that Galway were going to set up defensively and they were going to set up at the 45 and wait for Roscommon to come onto them. Roscommon got the ball very easy up the pitch and then when they met that wall, they had no ideas, no creativity. They went over and back, uh, started on the wing, went across the other wing very slowly. And I would have thought that, yeah, if they knew that was coming in advance, that they would have worked on that in training and they would have coached uh, uh, each, everyone up about how fast they would and the lines to hit. What I think has happened, though, is the message probably just got mixed. They obviously preached a lot about holding on to the ball uh, and retaining it during the week, not turning it over that high up the pitch because Galway were very good in the break. You know what probably would have happened then before the game because of the condition being so bad, they probably told them to be even safer than they were planning to be. And then that just morphed into the fact that Roscommon did not try to break down that goal defence. And in fairness, the goal defence wasn't really troubled. Mm. Uh, and there was no real, at the end pitch, their collar, like, you know, stopping the Roscommon forward line. So it was a comfortable afternoon for the goal defence, like, based on that conservatism that Roscommon displayed. Yeah, there was, it, it was bizarre being at it. I mean, the lack of tackling from your kick out, you, t- you carried the ball 100 yards up the field with no tackle going in whatsoever. And sitting in the middle of a crowd at a county final, you would think that the crowd would get involved in some way. But that took a minute every time. And it just basically completely killed any intensity that you would yeah. that you might feel during the game. The the, the kick out goes short, the uh, whichever member of the full back line uh, received the short kick out advances up the field at funereal pace. Uh, and you know, there's a couple of hand passes and then it gets to the opposition forty five and then the game starts again. But I mean, it was a very, very strange atmosphere and a very, very yeah. uh, uh, muted uh, 
just occasion, you know, not not just a game. I suppose everything about it was just killed by the fact that there was this kind of minute. It, it took a minute for the game to restart every time the ball went out of play. Yeah, and the thing was as well, like Roscommon, the way the way they actually did that, uh, the Roscommon fans were probably expecting something like that to happen. So initially, yeah, everyone was like, you know, that's fine. Work the ball at the pitch. Wait for your chances. But as the game went on, and especially in the second half when they started getting into, under a bit of pressure and Galway were getting their scores, and it looked like Galway were going to pull ahead towards the end, there was no situational awareness from the Roscommon players at all. Like Just to say, you know something, we're going to have to try something different here. We're going to have to start going at this a little harder and basically trying to get the scores to uh, they're going to hopefully see us home. Like Donny Smith creating that free at the end was one of the few times in the game where a Roscommon uh, forward took on his the direct opponent and he got the free out of it. But yeah, it was just very disappointing to see that situation awareness. And obviously, the, the last attack was just like so disappointing that there's 30 seconds left. Someone just take a shot. Oh, yeah. 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 That so, was annoying. That was actually annoying to yeah, watch that. Like, yeah, yeah, that was the most annoying part for me was that nobody wants to be a hero anymore. Even have a pot shot. What's the worst that can happen? And it was low risk. They would have known Absolutely. how deep they were into injury Absolutely. time. So, was, And you could actually, I'm not sure how much peripheral vision the players have but you can see the ref looking at the watch so if you're a Roscommon attacker surely you're thinking well look there's, there's no time for it's about to be blown there's no time for Galway to get down the other end anyway so let's I think, by that, stage, I think by that stage players, supporters and anybody of the viewing public was brain dead at that stage <laughs> and it included the players because it certainly looked you know at a number of times that somebody just sort of went Listen, this is me. I'm taking control of it. But Roscommon was coming. Got a couple of points. They they got absolutely. So you, you would have thought maybe they're absolutely. You think that you think you know they would have been big time over. But in games like that, I've seen games like, like that, and you you're waiting all the time because you're thinking it's going to open up a wee bit now, isn't it? And you keep you think you know the next play is going to be different, and you know somebody's going to take charge, or the more experienced players are going to take charge. For, uh, the simple remedy for the replay is that that. Uh, Kevin McStay or Kevin Walsh need to go and get the video, in particular Roscommon, from a Roscommon point of view, get the video of the way Donegal played against Monaghan in the replay. Because Monaghan did the exact same thing, they set up exactly the same way, and Donegal just came from different angles and just, you know, eventually sort yeah, of figured was, them out. It was the, the lack of invention in, in someone coming off the shoulder, yeah. which is, you know, kind of, it's basically... Whatever it is, I mean, if you can say what you like about it being a rugby skill that's now being brought into into yeah. Gaelic football, but the fact of the matter is, if you hand pass to a guy who's standing still, that's just a wasted hand pass. Absolutely. You're as well as hold on to the ball yourself. But if you're passing to a guy who's on a run that isn't directly like just going straight at the goalpost and at two defenders, if you have a guy running at an angle, and in fairness, you know, Golet did it a little better, I think that when they carried the ball, there did appear to be, uh, a, uh, if a guy is running out to the right-hand touchline, there's a guy cutting across that line, bringing him back into the middle of the pitch. I mean, the, I mean that didn't happen a massive amount either, but there, there, there has to be an idea that that's the game now. Like, it's, that's not just a facet of the game. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much the entire game. If you're, if you're uh, taking short kickouts all the time, did Ross Common kick one kick out, out to the middle of the pitch I don't think they did um, not that it was contested no yeah so every if, if, if you're kicking every single one of your kick outs short that's the entire game that's not a facet yeah. of the game your angles of running is the entire game now say a guy like Cahill Craig I mean if you're talking about say yards gained metres gained to use an American football or rugby stat I'd say Cahill Craig probably had the ball in his hand for nearly half a mile I would, I'd say he ran half a mile with the ball in his <laughs> hand 
And but I mean, at the, it 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 didn't achieve anything, you know. Like no. that, that he's obviously a very willing runner, and he's the guy that you run angles off, you know. So it's not even you're slagging off Kyle Craig. It's like the guy had the ball in his hands for, you know. Five or six minutes worth of game time, I would say. Yeah, I don't, well, see, see but no you, one was running off him. See when you engage a defender, right? You you carry the ball up and you engage a defender going at a half decent pace. You turn around and you expect somebody to be off your right or your left. In fact, you know they should be calling from maybe two, three, four yards away to yeah. say I'm off your right, I'm off your left. Instead of that, it was I engage a player, the goalway defence stand you up, and you turn around and you sorry you fist the ball. You know, directly back to somebody who's standing still. So for that, for them to do the exact same thing over and over again. I mean, I've been sitting here for a lot of years, and you've been on about Derry. You know, doing this yep. on, a, on a continuous basis, but it's rife now. You know, yep. we're we're all at it. Yeah, you know? I know. It's it, it's it's. I mean, Galway looked very good defensively. Like Galway did look like a good. It looked set up. Looked very well. Very good. Well set up. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think you ha- the caveat has to be there that they're going to meet teams that can run angles. And yesterday, Roscommon didn't run an angle really yeah, at all. Yeah, like that Galway defence wasn't really tested no. yeah. in that defence yesterday. And I don't think that Roscommon would not have practised that in training, what we're discussing yeah. here now with these angles of running. But Kevin McStay did admit this morning that he was over, they were probably overly cautious as the management team. So when messages go out to a team during the week about this is what we want you to do in this scenario, this is what you want to do in this scenario, I think like players put different weightings on different messages depending on the circumstances. And I think yeah. that they were very worried about turning the ball over and going hitting them on the break and losing the game because of it. Like Roscommon didn't have a packed defence in that they were sitting waiting. Roscommon did play a high line so they always knew that yeah if we get bypassed early on high up the pitch yeah there is going to be a chance for goal to get in behind. I just think that the Roscommon players put more stock in being careful with the ball than running the lines that they were probably coached on but just actually never did. Yeah. I just can't believe that you're suggesting that players don't take on board 100% of what management uh, <laughs> give them at all, at all times. Was, they, th- wait, they wait certain parts of it. I was thinking that before t- today I came in, Owen, and I remember uh, a couple of years ago we did the uh, Kerry-Mayo drawn game and James Horn came out after and said he couldn't explain why some of the players played more defensively than normal when James O'Donoghue they were trying to cover. And I said at the time that I think it's that uh, certain players just get in their heads, you know, this is my job today and I'm going to do this more than my, mm. my uh, offensive role. And I think that's what happened the last day. Like there was meant to be lads, I'm sure, running lines uh, and cutting across. Like say Gary O'Donnell did very well in the first yeah. half for his point, but just when there was a little more caution in the approach, which Kevin McStay has now admitted, then maybe they put a bit more stock in that. We seem to be being a little more critical of Roscommon than Galway here, uh, where, where Galway weren't up to much either, bar being well drilled defensively. Yeah, to be honest, I think Galway's main failure was not winning the game when they had gotten themselves into position to win the game. I mean, in the second half. Uh, Gola played most of the football again without being massively convincing. They just they happened to pick the right pass, kick the scores at the at the right time. I'd say with five minutes to go, as a Gola person, you're looking at it saying we've done enough to win this game. All you have to do now is just see it out. Yeah. And when Tom Flynn got that ball forty five yards out, advanced, took it to thirty yards out. He's directly in front of the goal. He passes off to Shane Welch instead of kicking oh, his own score. I mean, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish we could explain <laughs> Oshin's uh, facial expressions. Yeah. Some were lucky there, Kieran, that Tom Flynn hadn't uh, a big game and hadn't yeah. been prominent for yeah. for, for Galway because like he was in Castlebar and he had the the stones then to go for that goal. Yeah, he didn't have it was a, great, a goal chance. It wasn't yeah. just a, a point score. It's like he passed to Shane Welsh. Shane, Shane Welsh passes the ball back to him. It's a goal. The game is over. Game effectively. Yeah. yeah. Uh, instead, his pass is kind of a little bit behind Shane Welsh. Shane Welsh tries for a score when he should have just passed it back to Tom Flynn and you know what should have been a four point game 
turns it is back to a one point game and Roscommon uh, do the necessary. But I mean, Galway. I mean, I, I I think we're being less critical of Galway because I think what we saw from Galway yesterday is pretty much what we'll see from Galway next Sunday. I you know defensively certainly, and then up front as well. I mean, you would say that Shane Welsh didn't do much offensively, but carried the ball well. Mm. Damien Comer kicked a couple of good scores, but again, didn't... You know, he'll be disappointed with his return, I think, particularly in the first half. So, what you're left with is Galway maybe looking like if they get a bit more from their best players, they'll be in a good position. Whereas with Roscommon, there seemed to be a bit of a systems failure and a, a lack of direction in their play, which, you know, which... You, which you'd be more inclined to criticise. I, I don't know yeah. if, if that's how you uh, felt. And the other thing about it is that, you know, it's a lot. It's probably a little bit more difficult to rectify Roscommon's problems because you're rectifying a mindset now. You know, what I mean, what certainly what looked like a mindset yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, to be as conservative as conservative as they were going to be. The strange thing about talking about Roscommon being conservative is. They were conservative in the early passages of the league, and I thought they were very impressive because the transition was a lot quicker. Uh, the runs off the shoulder were a lot quicker. And plus, they had a man at the edge of the square that on occasions you can put the ball into him. Now, you can put the ball into him if, if as you say, um, or if you're coming up the field at a leisurely pace and you're giving Galway the opportunity to get it. That's why sometimes you have to kick the ball into the middle of the field, and that's why... Carol and these boys, you know, were as effective as they were, and sometimes you just, you know, you got to take. Like, if a team is giving you the opportunity to hit that short uh, kick out all the time, it's very difficult not to take that. Yeah, but sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to say to yourself, you know, who, who's, who's more, who's this more effective for? Yeah, but it's it's goal with choice as well that that left the short yeah. kick out of it. Like when they pushed up a couple of times, um, you know, they, they like. It made it much more difficult for Roscommon, and you're kind of thinking, "Well, okay, do that for the last ten minutes, and you would back Conroy and Flynn to catch yeah. enough ball for Goldie to win the game." Yeah. So Galway were conservative yeah. as well, you yeah. know, like, like it, it's a two-way street, you know, like Galway's Roscommon's conservatism was facilitated in a lot of ways by how Galway set up. So, yeah, like, I, I, I still, yes, sorry, yeah. I still think though that Roscommon are going to be able to change it around a little bit and to to attack a little better. Like Ocean, you mentioned about earlier in the league, like they did play like you mentioned, and transitioned the ball very well early on in the league and they were able to run those lines. So I would hope that it's not something that it's going to be coached for the first time this week. I would think that that is something they have worked yeah. on all season. Yeah. So it is a change of mindset. Yeah, it is. It's a big change of mindset considering the way they approached yesterday. But I would like to think that it would be a seamless enough transition and just kind of to give the players a little more responsibility and have the give more give them more like responsibility to have the situation awareness, you know, to make the calls and make those decisions themselves and to go for it a bit more. Well, Longford against Monaghan, beating Monaghan was the result of the weekend. Did you see this coming? Did I see it coming? Uh, yeah, no, I predicted it. No. <laughs> no, I didn't see it coming at all. I thought, like a lot of other people, that this would have been a good game for Monaghan. I think Malik O'Rourke thought that as well because he made a hell of a lot of changes um, to his team. Um, Monaghan just... I just feel as if that's three games in a row where they've been very, very poor. I mean, they played 15 minutes football against Donegal the first day and were able to get a draw. Um, the strange thing is that Owen, you, you won't hear a huge amount of uh, ridicule as far as Malachi O'Rourke or anybody's concerned. He's done a fa- he's done a fabulous job. I just think he's probably taking them now as far as as he can take them. 
Um, I think they need something probably new to rejuvenate them. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes you just need a change, and I feel as if it's time now for Monaghan. I think you're going to see four or five of their players go. Um, I think they sort of they've got mixed up with their identity in the last couple of weeks. In particular, Vinnie Corey, who we've been who we've seen over the last couple of weeks, who's been detailed a man marking job, and he's very very good at that. That's his strength. Mm. Uh, but he was given the job of marking Mickey Quinn and. Uh, he does that to the latter of the law, and he's expecting his teammates to come in. And I just think with Mekinespi and Mekinespi dropping into defence, there's a little bit of inexperience there now, and I'm not sure if, if you know, if he's not missing the likes of Carol O'Connell from the half back line, Desi Moore from the half back line. I know maybe Desi doesn't have the pace he had, but he's got a huge amount of know how. So, without changing a huge amount. He's changed a lot. If that does that make any any sense mm. whatsoever, there seem to be a lot of changes in the way they've sort of went about it this year, and I think that just sort of caught up with them. I, like I, I just think that they'll be back flying again next year. They're, they're on their age system, you know. They're good under twenty ones minors, uh, good coaching, good coaches within the county. They'll be back, but I think they probably need to go away and, and sit in a dark room for for quite a while. Yeah, just on the, the Longford side then, uh, like I know they're not on television that much and anytime you do see them, it's normally a trim from Dublin or, or similar. But from locally, like playing against uh, Longford in Division 3 over the years when I was playing with them against them uh, and seeing a couple of the qualifiers games they've had uh, in the North, especially where they've done very well, they have good heart and I know it's an intangible, but they have good heart and an eye for when there's a gap there for them. And they have been able to, when they get a bit of momentum, to push on in the game irrespective of who it is, irrespective of whether it was Derry before, whether it was down a few weeks ago, and now whether it was Monaghan. Uh, they have been good at that, I have always noticed, and they were against us when we used to play in the league. When they see a gap, they are good at going for it, and you can see the points they kick towards the end or exit. Last year to beat Derry in the Championship, there was 400 people at it, but I was I happened to be doing radio for BBC, and they were streaming the pictures back, and I was able to watch it, mm. and I thought they were absolutely exceptional. I remember coming in here and doing mm. the podcast with you and saying... You know, whoever they beat, whoever they meet the next day, they'll absolutely wallop them. They're a team that are there to be reckoned reckon with. I think they'll beat by 17 points the next day by Tipperary. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yes. uh, you know, it has happened in where they have been able to pull off, you know, those good results, but eventually it comes to an end. But you have to say that I, I didn't see that coming. That's a, That was an unbelievable result, regardless of how, you know, how Monaghan played. We talk quickly about Mayo, who are nearly dumped out themselves um, they, we've talked quite a lot about Aidan O'Shea in the show and how as a big man sort of forward that he doesn't always get much preferential treatment from referees it takes a lot for him to win a foul so maybe he took it into <laughs> took the law into his own hands by winning, a, winning himself well, like, if you look at it in isolation yeah it was a, it was a dive it was terrible to see uh, it's, nothing, it's not something that we want to see in our games but if you look at it, the wider picture like it's not, dive, it's not the first part time someone has dived in the GA so for example so like Aidan O'Shea's going to get a lot of stick now because of it but he's very high profile he's very visible when Mayor are playing yeah. that's why it's going to be a little bit more uh, focused on him the other thing as well is yeah we spoke about before about how big men don't get frees and Aidan O'Shea anytime he gets by a man uh, because he has the strength and the, the quick feet to get by them he has a hand around his waist he has another man in pulling his arm he's not getting the freeze. 
and the dive while in isolation looks very bad it's a, it's a product of refs not giving him those frees when he should be getting them and he's not getting them because he's a big man and I, I can see why he does dive he dived a few more times in the game now in fairness when he had tackles put in and he got the frees in that situation as well so yeah it's in isolation is terrible but I can see why he does it because like, he doesn't get the frees you're chancing your arm to, you're, you're sort of trying to buy you're trying to buy a free in there in this case a penalty but it didn't look great it didn't look great but you know what Mayo needed it at the time they needed something and I know I went bananas last year on the Tierney McCann incident mm. and you know I should be outraged at this incident the only thing I would say is that it it was different for, it's different from a male point of view because you feel as if they need something like that that they need to start every dirty trick in the book or they need to start they need something to wake them up because uh, if they keep playing the way they're playing you know that there's only one place to go and that's, that's out of the champion they were on a very poor especially yeah. in the first half. And the same thing has happened to them as happened to them last year. Whenever they tore up the script and they realised, listen, we're just going to have to, we're six points down here, we're just going to have to bomb forward. When they bomb forward, they don't have to think about it. Mm. They don't have to think about who's playing sweeper or, or whatever else. When they bomb forward, they look good because we're bringing a bit of pace and a bit of energy to it, but still not, still not great. Yeah. I think the reaction to the Aidan O'Shea thing, I think we're all a little more just a little more laissez-faire about it than the McCann incident last year. And I think it's because Mayo desperately needed a penalty. <laughs> you know, like the idea that Tyrion McCann went and dived to get someone sent off is kind of a different... It's There's a different moral uh, compass at play here, I think. You know, like, so he, he dives to try and get someone sent off. It just seems like, well, uh, the, the, the upside is... Like the you're you're trying to hurt the I I don't know the point I'm trying to make. Well, no, no, well, 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 no. I, well, I think the point is it's, it did occur to me that that might be why people think about it a little bit differently. In that you're actually you're doing specific harm to a fellow player by getting a guy sent off, which isn't so much the case. But I, I do think that's reaching a little bit because either way you're trying to do whatever it takes yeah. for your team to win. So whether it's Sean Kavanaugh hauling down a man uh, a couple of years back with a rugby tackle, whether it's uh, one of these two boys diving, it all seems of a piece. Yeah, if you want to set up your moral compass there and yeah. say which is higher up on it, like if I was uh, Darren Hughes who got sent off at that stage, the game was over when he got sent off. So yeah. it didn't actually impact the right. result. The game wasn't over when Aidan O'Shea dived. So on a moral compass, surely it's worse if what he did makes you yeah. uh, on the losing side than opposed to when yeah, you're Yeah, it's a key moment in the yeah. game. See the yeah. gay Shea Cullen who, who allegedly took him down. Well, in the Fermanagh versus Donegal game, Shea Cullen was marking Michael Murphy doing an absolutely brilliant job on him. Michael Murphy was after kicking a wide. I think Shea Cullen might have had a ward with him on the way out, but Murphy absolutely emptied him just with a shoulder on the way out. There was no ball, no nothing. The next ball that Murphy got, Shea Cullen got him. Murphy grabbed his hand and he went over the top of him and got got a black card in that game. So he must feel he's only twenty year old lad. Like I mean, he must <laughs> oh, feel wow. like the, the world is yeah. The world is this is what against intercounty you know? football is like. All right, brilliant stuff. Ushi and Carl, thank you. Thanks, Thanks modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. should probably mention the replay the Connacht football final replay is set for next Sunday. Next Sunday, 3.30pm uh, so not on television uh, which may discommode some of our listeners, but oh. I'm afraid you're just going to have to suck it up. Why is that? Because there are already too many games on? Mayo and Kildare is on uh, Sky Sports, 
7 p.m. On Saturday. On Saturday. And now, reading between the lines, it appears to me that Sky Sports are uh, unable to show provincial finals, but they, the deal that Sky Sports signed would be for the marquee qualifier game mm. at 7 p.m. on Saturday. So the marquee qualifier game is Mayon Calaire. That is the game that they're showing. Uh, Roscommon were absolutely adamant that basically Hyde Park and Roscommon is out of commission, so the game can't be replayed in Hyde Park. Uh, Roscommon were adamant yesterday that it wouldn't be replayed in Salt Hill, so the only other venue is Castlebar. Castlebar mm. hosting a game now on Saturday between Mayon Calaire, uh, which means that they didn't really have any choice after that than to play it on Sunday. Now, they could have played the current final at 3 o'clock and Mayo Kildare at 7 o'clock. That doesn't seem like... <laughs> or the current final as a curtain raiser to Mayo and Kildare. But I don't think that would go down uh, very well. They could have kept it in Galway as well, but uh, Roscommon have the right to take it back because essentially, as you're saying, it's it's Roscommon's game now. Yeah. And they, they could have said, listen, for the purposes of a better fixture time, maybe we could play it in Galway again. Yeah. But I mean, why would they do that? If yeah. you're Kevin McStay, as Kevin McStay was in the paper, said, "Listen, the next two games, I think Gold had already offered uh, that the next two games being Gold and Roscommon will be playing Roscommon." Kevin McStay said, "Well, I could be old and grey by the time the next two games, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, what are we going to? What are you going to do?" So, so next Sunday is a hell of a day, then, isn't it? There's three provincial football finals: uh, Leinster at two, Leinster at four. Ah. Okay, the Leinster Senior Football Championship final is on at 4 o'clock, doubling doubling against Westmead. Donegal against Throne is on at 2 o'clock. That seems to me the far better game if you're looking at a double header from a TV perspective, but but there you go. Uh, Donegal Throne is at 2, Dublin Westmead at 4, and Galway against Roscommon is at 3.30. No television, live television coverage, so you're going to have to go to the game. Jim McGuinness wrote a column last week, it really is. Irish Times calling was brilliant on yeah. the Ulster, ahead of the Ulster final. It was was once the semi final replays had been played. Really, just one, one of those pieces that you read and makes you really excited about a match. You haven't even started thinking about it, and then you're going, "Well, I'm, I'm not missing this one." So it's well worth having a listen. Just about how essentially both of the counties have had this rivalry that all leads to this. <laughs> making it sound, making it sound like he's overblowing it, but he he puts it together. Uh, the UFC well. themselves, recent, the recently sold UFC themselves. Oh, yeah. Uh, couldn't have sold Donegal Throne any better than Jimmy Guinness did last week. It was brilliant. Our final Irish Times Second Captain's Euros podcast is out now. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What have you meant? I'd say to you, face not say to you now. I'm down Frankfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. It's a Ken Early cameo. Ken, you're in Paris. We have done the Irish Times Second Captain's Euros podcast for the final time. And it's out now. What's in it? Oh, well, we talked to... I was talking to Miguel Delaney and John Wilson at the side of France uh, last night. We also had Richie Sadler's show talking about the final and uh, looking back on the tournament in general. What a tournament it was, Owen. <laughs> I can't make up my mind whether it was any good. <laughs> no, I, I, and I don't know if people will be able to decide after listening to our final podcast, but have a listen anyway. Lots of great stuff in there. One thing that's not in there is Leo Messi. Mm. I, I kind of felt that we had done enough of the bringing up Messi every time we brought up Ronaldo uh, dynamic, but... I had forgotten yeah. at that point, Ken, and, and maybe we all did. There was so, so much going on with the Euros final that Barcelona. I've forgotten about this. We are all Leo Messi campaign that Barcelona have launched to defend their star oh my man. God. Go on, yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, just something really weird about this. Owen. like, why would Barcelona do that? 
unless they felt in some way responsible for what's happened with Lionel Messi. I mean, I don't really, I don't really understand. What, what's the need to... Lionel Messi was convicted of, like, a serious crime. It's not, it's not, it's not a joke, like, you know? It's a 21-month prison sentence, suspended sentence. Um, that's not like, uh, oh, we don't agree with this red card that he was given. You know, it's not even on. It's not even in the same category as as like uh, what happened with Liverpool and Suarez, um, where Suarez was found guilty of some you know on field stuff, uh, and Liverpool you know wore the t shirts and so on to support him. This is like a, an actual crime. Um, like tax evasion is a serious business with like uh, very serious consequences in the world. Um, to say we are all Lionel Messi in this circumstance is just so weird. Why would they do that? I mean, obviously, the idea is that, uh, you know, they want Lionel Messi to feel loved. I suppose, it's a bit, you know, you could compare it in that case to the Liverpool Suarez thing, uh, in that, uh, you know, they wanted him to know, we're all with you, you know, basically, don't leave. It just comes down to, like, don't leave. But why would he leave unless he was angry with Barcelona for some reason? Because of what's happened here, do you see what you see? What I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, um, well, this this is you know, there's just something about it that feels um, bizarre. You know, even the little I'm trying to find it here. Actually, I'm having a slight internet issue again, but I'm trying to get the tweet up. I have it here. Yeah, like the open the the, the their little um, open hand sort of gesture above the hashtag in the photograph in the tweet. I don't know. There's something almost childlike about that. Like, let's all I I I. I don't know, I'm not articulating this very well, but I'm just struggling to come up with why they have uh, why they've unleashed this marketing campaign upon the world. Well, okay, so, so Messi is obviously the most important player at Barcelona. They don't want Messi to leave. Uh, they, they, they want to know that they support him and so on and so forth. But, like, it just seems a little bit gratuitous, unless there's something that we don't know here. What is? I mean, I noticed that he's not the first Barcelona player to have had problems with uh, non-payment of taxes. The same thing happened with Javier Mascherano, uh, Dani Alves, and obviously Neymar's tax affairs are, are a complete shambles. Um, you know, he's got he's he's got a case against him in Brazil. His uh, transfer to Barcelona was uh, there was all kinds of corruption and dodgy dealing going on there. Um, you know, which is all, which is all like on the record. I have to say that the, in aggregate, this doesn't look like a very pretty picture. Um, I wonder why Barcelona feel the need to. Why, you see, what I don't understand is why would Lionel Messi's relationship with Barcelona be affected by private uh, by, by a private problem in his tax affairs? Well, you know uh, what I mean? yeah, I suppose I mean the obvious. The obvious answer is that he might feel he hasn't got got enough support from Barcelona. I don't know how how these things necessarily work. You know, if there's yeah, an if there's an yeah. issue between the revenue uh, the revenue and, and a superstar player like that uh, with one yeah. of the country's leading clubs, I, I, mean, I would imagine that in some cases these these kind of things might have happened before, and maybe we don't hear about it because some top guys from the club are onto the are onto the revenue, and that maybe there's a way of smoothing it over, and this. Hasn't necessarily happened in this case. This is this is guesswork on my part, but it would be one possible answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think it's important to point out that Lionel Messi is a grown man who's responsible for his own financial affairs. That's the that's the way it is, and that's the way it should be. However, uh, we also know that you know Lionel Messi is 
Yeah. I mean, he, he's responsible. It's his, it's his responsibility to ensure that things are being done the right way, that his affairs are being done the right way. That's, that's a fact. So I, I wouldn't go along with any of this, uh, oh, Messi, he doesn't know. I mean, essentially in, in the, the court finding was that, you know, Messi was trying to say, oh, you know, I don't really pay any attention to that tax stuff. I just kind of go kick a ball around and I leave that to other people. And the court finding was, was essentially that, well, you can't actually do that. You can't, just, you can't just claim ignorance of your own affairs. You know what I mean? You're responsible for them. So he does have responsibility. However, I do wonder what Barcelona have been telling him. I mean, obviously, they pay him a lot of money. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's as simple as they transfer the money into his account every week or every month. Uh, there seems to be a lot of different ways that footballers get paid these days. I mean, we've seen clubs run into difficulty in, in trying to find innovative ways of paying players. The most obvious example would be Glasgow Rangers, uh, who decided that in order to pay premium wages to attract a better class of player than they maybe would have been able to do otherwise, they came up with this uh, innovative way of paying the players, <laughs> which turned out to be totally illegal. Uh, and effectively resulted in the liquidation of the club after they'd run up this massive uh, tax bill. You know, I mean, there's no evidence that Barcelona have to do something like this. Uh, but I do have to say it's a strange pattern of, of player after player being busted for um, evading taxes. And if Lionel Messi has no reason to be angry at Barcelona, why are they sort of acting as though he might be angry and they right. need to mollify him. I don't get that. Ken, safe flight. Thanks, Owen. All right, let's talk hurling now. We'll be chatting to Liam Griffin very shortly. Maliki is here. Maliki, I read your report of the Munster final yesterday and you, a huge win for Tipperary, obviously, against Waterford. You didn't really dress it up. Uh, not great. It wasn't great, no. <laughs> so no. the match report was great, I should say, the, <laughs> the match itself. No, I really great. feel I didn't do my best work yesterday. <laughs> you know, and, you know. Why do you think that was? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought me here to ask me about that. I was thinking on the way home last night. Sick. Anyway. Uh, Performance review here. Yeah. It was just, yeah, it was a grim day. I think, I think sometimes these... Um, you, you you nearly feel worse about a game that you've really been looking forward to. Mm. You know, you know. If sometimes you go to like I don't know Kilkenny murdering somebody, you kind of uh, expected it, so there's no expectation, so there's no real hurt afterwards. Mm. Uh, whereas like halfway through the second half yesterday, you could feel people in the ground, well, not the Tipperary people obviously, but like neutrals kind of going, "Ah, this is not what we signed up." This for was at not all. what we were coming down here for, you know. We and the day was rotten, like it was really horrible, squally rain and. Um, and just Waterford just they didn't they weren't what we thought they were gonna be they mm. they just didn't they fell away they conceded a load of goals there was a point where I was saying this to somebody afterwards where um there was a point in the second half or even maybe sometimes in the first half when you were looking at them and you were going I can't remember what it is that they were good at. What would remember all those that that they used to be really good like three weeks ago? What was it that they used to do for scores, or what? How was it that they used to move the ball? How did all this work? Yeah, yeah. And what were we so excited about? And because just nothing was working, like really, and the classic thing was their heads dropped and they stood off and they got a bit crotchety. Like, Austin Gleeson really should have been sent off in the first half. You know, he he very lucky to escape a yellow card early on and got a yellow card about five minutes later that really should have been his second one. So, 
and Morris Shanahan lost his head a little bit and missed a, a few shots at goal. And they just they looked really young all of a sudden. They looked really I don't know. The the one thing that you you associate with them is is kind of structure and and being well drilled and well coached and they look like a bit of a rabble and all of that was was the furthest thing from your mind going down and so I don't know that 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 was what the feeling you came away with. It's funny because a lot of the analysis today I've been reading is all about how Waterford's system broke down and a lot of people don't like their system or any system indeed in hurling it's pretty fair to say but interestingly Derek McGrath seemed to be saying to you guys afterwards mm. well, well the system I'm paraphrasing it the system broke down because the system wasn't in place I actually changed it for this one and really I shouldn't have done that a little bit yeah like like there's a couple of things there uh, the, for once actually the, the, the TV was on in the press box in, uh, in Limerick uh, and the volume was up uh, so, like, I don't usually get to hear uh, the TV commentary that the rest of the country gets to hear. I was really kind of outraged at the end to hear Michael Dignan kind of take a bit of pleasure in the fact that that Waterford got beat, you know. And, and he was sort of couching it and saying, you know, you wouldn't want to take too much pleasure in this, but but I'm, I am glad, you know, and maybe they'll go back to to playing normal hurling, which is just absolutely not going to happen. Um, what Derek McGrath was saying afterwards was he was sort of challenging people to watch the tape to see where his players were positioned. Um, his the- thesis was that they weren't playing with everybody back and everybody bunched around the, the half-back line. Um, now, I don't know. They're, they're, you know, a lot of this is in the eye of the beholder and in a, in a fast game with 30 players on the pitch and everybody moving around, it can sometimes be hard to get a fix mm. on exactly where everybody is. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt, though, that that Waterford filled their half-back line with their half-forwards. You know, Porrick Mahoney and Brick Walsh played an awful lot of, certainly in in the first half, which is the half that Derek is kind of talking about, mm. played an, with an awful lot of them stationed in their own half-back line. And, like, if he's arguing that they played with six forwards, I don't think that that's he correct. Seems to be, he seems to be making the point that what actually happened was Tip brought a man back. So that's mm. what made it look as though we had a lot of players back because one of their forwards was actually back. Again, you know, you can, be, you can split hairs in these things. I, I'm not sure I completely agree with him because definitely those two have forwards and Kevin Moore, to a certain extent, did and most of their hurling in, in the half-back line in, in, uh, in that uh, first half. But anyway, the, 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 the wider point is that this this notion that that Waterford will now suddenly switch um it's just it's just not going to happen like what McGrath said afterwards was that if anything this is this has uh, made them more entrenched they are going to play the way that they have had success so far and any change that they do bring about will be done in the off season just like this change was you know this change to a, a defensive system to a, a very structured game came about because they got two hammerings in the 2014 league from Clare and Kilkenny in successive weeks and he said well we can't do that anymore so over the winter they went through the, the summer playing as they were but over the winter he completely dreamed it up again and so his point is that if they actually do go to a, a more expansive, a more traditional game, which I kind of doubt that they will anyway. Um, it will be over the winter. It won't be in the next. Yeah, fortnight. and I mean, I, th- I think if you're if you're a manager, I mean, whatever uh, shock to the belief system happened yesterday, it would be compounded 
you know, fivefold. If you went into training tomorrow night and said, right, everything that I've been telling you for the last two years is wrong, this is what we're going to do in two weeks' time for a game against Wexford, that we could now, you know, that we have yeah. to win. Like, And also, it's a, it's a false dichotomy. They didn't lose. They didn't give up five... 19, 19 was it? Yeah. They didn't have 5-19 because Tiff worked out a way to beat their sweeper. They gave it up because they played badly, mm. hit 10 wides in the first half, lost heart and just couldn't... They didn't do what they came to do. Mm. You know, that wasn't down to the system. It was down to, you know, Tipperary. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this afterwards. We The last day we were here with, with Owen uh, Kelly, I remember asking him, Will some team some of these days mark Tag the Burker, mark the the Watford sweeper? And he was he was kind of humming and hawing a little bit, kind of going, yeah, "It's not really the way to do it." Tip yesterday showed the way to do it. Like Tag the Burker looks brilliant when uh, teams are playing balls out to the wings because he kind of goes out there and mops them up. Tipperary went right down the middle of the pitch and got three forwards in and around that place. So much so that the worker, okay, he was still a spare man. He was still a sweeper. But there's a big difference between sweeping across an expanse of 50 yards of grass where there's only three other players to what was happening yesterday where he was the fourth man in a seven-man battle for the ball. You know what yeah. I mean? That yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that that there's uh, the Nairo Mara uh, and Bonner Maher and Shami Callanan uh, and John McGrath all kind of converged around that sort of, if you, if you drew a, a circle with a 20-yard diameter, around the, the full forward spot. So, okay, you can be a sweeper there, but basically you're just an extra body around uh, in a scrap for a ball. And on a wet day, um, that, that lessened his, his, uh, his capacity to, to control the game. Yeah, and uh, if you look at the changes that Tipperary have made... I mean that's the big one. You know they hammered the hammer effectively, mm-hmm. went straight at where at where you know you you expected Watford to be to be dominant. But every change that Michael Ryan has made, every one of the new faces that he's mm. brought in, are big guys. Like, there is a bit of that. There's like there is a lot of weight and heft to the Tipperary team now. Yeah, and you'd have to say that it, that that is the big change from Eamon O'Shea that. Eamon O'Shea is looking for everyone to move, move, move mm. all the time. Whereas Michael Ryan is, go in there, win your own ball, and then start hurling. And that, and you know, if ever there was a thing, you know, a, a, a game plan, again, you're looking at Kilkenny, I suppose. I mean, after yesterday, yeah. it's, it's become clear again that Tip and Kilkenny are streets ahead of... of it really looks like it, doesn't it? Well, put it this way, it looks like the game that they both play is the game that will carry the day. You know, yeah. the, the and it is the change, you know, Michael Ryan's a very nice chap and uh, kind of he kind of laughs at us when we, when we talk to him about, you know, you're imposing your style on here, on this team. Uh, and he kind of he kind of goes, "Ah, sure, we're very unsophisticated down here in Tipperary. We're just we're just making them horse into them and this kind of stuff." But he's he's um, there's no doubt. Like it's got to be hard to come in, not even to come in. You know, like he was on the inside anyway. But it's got to be hard to take over a team that is already already relatively successful. You know, like they they missed out on another All Ireland last year by a puck of a ball. Um, they have. They were in. Uh, they were a puck of a ball away from winning an All Ireland the previous year. Um, the, the temptation, especially when you've been in the back room for those two years, 
is to kind of keep the car running, you know, to, to decide, well, we might only tweak a wee bit here and a wee bit there. We're not that far away. Like, to come in and basically, you know, make a change in every line of the team um, and to bring in new faces in every line. Well, apart from the full-back line, like, the change in the full-back line is Mickey Cahill, but, you know, he's been around. But, mm. you know, you're Dan McCormack, you're Michael Breen, you're uh, Kennedy at, at wing-back and you're John McGrath. That's not, you know, that's that's a, that's an overhaul almost, you know. And um, with the exception of John McGrath, you know, you could, again, these are all sort of pub stool arguments, but you could say that the other three really probably would have had to wait another year or two under Eamon O'Shea. They were not really the sort of player that, that his game was kind of built around. John McGrath accepted from that, obviously. But, like, they're... They're, like Breen is a big guy. Like you know, you could you could hear people talking yesterday about Michael Breen against Michael Fenley. It'll be tasty, won't yeah. it? You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. And now that's jumping ahead and all that sort of stuff. But like, and you're talking there about a guy in his first year, and and already people are going, you could you could have a go at Michael Fenley. Yeah, I see. Mick Ryan was already to, uh, cautioning against the uh, people of Tipperary yeah. jumping too far ahead. He's trying to keep a lid on it. For he knows the time his being. people. He knows his people. <laughs> Liam Griffin certainly knows his people as well in Wexford and uh, Waterford are going to have to regroup to play against Wexford after this amazing win over Cork. First time in 60 years, Liam. You must be pretty delighted with them. Absolutely delighted. Uh, and not delighted for the reasons that most people might think. <laughs> the reason I'm so delighted is the 60 years was uh, was a kind of a, a milestone around people's necks. But this has been a difficult time for this team for the last number of years and been a very difficult time for Liam Dunn. And I just looked at the programme the other day and there were 16 of those lads under the age of 24 and something like 10 under the age of 22 So on the panel. So, like, this is a young emerging team and it's a long road to go and there were seven or eight short of the kind of original panel. But I think that's the great thing about it. There's a young, new emerging team wiping away the past and saying, look, we're going to out here to do our job, never mind 60 years. And uh, for an old guy like me, the 60 years means a lot, but to them it's, it's a start of something special in the long run, but it's going to take time. The uh, the fortitude they showed after conceding that goal towards the end of the game, straight away I think it was Lee Chin scored this beautiful point where he sidestepped the player and left him trailing his wake and, and knocked it over. And from then on, I think they outscored Cork by five or six points, which is pretty good mental strength considering, as you're saying, considering the age profile. Yeah, I know it's great mental strength. And in fairness to uh, in fairness to the whole lot of them, like my worry was because uh, I'm worrying about different things so much and much of the same. Uh, capitulation if it happens now like this is another step backwards and in the, in the progression of any team of any quality going anywhere there comes a time when you have to make a step over the line and when you get hit bad and you get knocked back to where you were knocked before and you reacted badly this would that, that reaction from that goal which was a relatively soft goal by the way in real terms so to step back for it that way and then for Lee Moog to step up and catch a few good balls because Lee Moog has struggled with his form as well and Lee Chin is just back from injury so that said a multitude about the lads and, and, and for a young team I thought they were marvellous and young Aidan Nolan came on and has been very badly injured and uh, he's only 22 and like he came on there and cleared a couple of great balls but one of them over to stand down halfway through to Harrison Jockey I think when the game was over so it's great to see those young lads getting that just reward because these are good young fellas but we're not the strength of Kilkenny and we know that we're not the strength of Tipperary and we know that but they need that break and they've got that now and hopefully that that, that gives them the impetus to keep going with Wexford. Just last quick one Liam were you surprised at how little Cork offered or is that, is that maybe being a little bit unfair in Wexford? No, no, it's not unfair, Alex. It's a reasonable comment. I just felt that um, 
Cork, Cork. Uh, I, I just don't think that Cork are anything like the, the the power that they were. And I also think that, you know, I know this comes in for harsh criticism. There's a bit of a mix-up between Newtown Chandram and uh, and uh, like the Waterford, the Cork team of the end of the 90s. You know, the systems have come forward, and maybe the team is not working well with that with that formula. But I have no worries about Cork long term. And uh, am I happy we beat him? You bet your bottom dollar, I am. Liam Griffin, great to talk. Thanks a million. Okay, thanks. Son. We still haven't mentioned Claire, who uh, will play Galway now after beating Limerick. I know you weren't too impressed, though. Well, just the fact that they still can't score goals or, 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 or put a team like that to the sword. Claire seemed to be very, very happy to muddle along in games three or four points up and not at any stage look like they're going to just put the boot into someone and just beat someone by 10 points and say, right, next. You know, what's next, you know? And I, I really feel that whatever about doing it with Limerick and allowing Limerick to get within a puck of the ball of them. Like, <laughs> d- d- watching the game, Clare were 15 points better than Limerick. Like, mm. e- every single bit of hurling was done by Clare and Jermaine Burns from Limerick. And there was no hurling being done by anyone else. Mm. And yet, with 10 minutes to go, Limerick were three points down and a, you know, a, a goal away. And I just feel that if you do this against Kilkenny, I mean, this is what you know, Galway have learned to their cost in the last couple of years. I mean, if you, le- if you leave Kilkenny in a game... You know, even after dominating for an entire half, they will come out and stomp all over you. And I just kind of get the impression that there's there's no way Clare are going to beat Kilkenny if they can't put Limerick away, as you know, with even a small bit of ruthlessness. Yeah, like between that and and yesterday. Yeah, it was very disheartening for the idea that you could have someone different win the All Ireland this year. Well, I I don't know if if well, it's disheartening. Tape, tape are different. Yeah, tape are but, different but enough. They're not going to get any. But it's not even that. It's it's more. I I think I think we just we are guilty every bloody year of investing too much in the sort of outer satellite of teams uh, instead yeah. of just kind of going, well, geez, Kenny are the best and they're going to probably win it. And if Tip get their act together, maybe they'll put it up to them. And can't we all just enjoy that on the first weekend of, of, of September? Um, I think we, Claire, we won't know until it has to happen. Uh, until then, we can theorise about them and and call them dark horses like, before yesterday, there was there was Waterford were dark horses, and now we've decided that absolutely in your wildest dreams, can you see them beating Kilkenny now? Not a, not a hope, like, and maybe Clare might do it, but who knows? Like. Now, Murph Malachy is not on football duty here, mm-hmm. but but <laughs> a lot of people want an official comment because this has been uh, this has been, this has been big on Twitter over the last twenty four hours or so since Longford shocked Monaghan. There was a there was a match preview in the Irish Times newspaper at the weekend. Monaghan versus Long Monaghan versus Longford. Clonus six thirty shooting practice as Malachy O'Rourke gets a lovely opportunity to further integrate a talented under twenty one group. No chance the dethroned Ulster champions will be bettered by a team that coughed up two twenty one to Offaly. That Longford uh, team recovered to sorry that Longford recovered to just about overcome down easily the worst team in Ulster this summer. There's little to dissuade from the argument of a rout with early goals and a constant stream of points. Verdict. Monaghan, did you, Maliki Clerken, proud Monaghan man, or did you not pen this preview? <laughs> well, first of all, I haven't really caught up with the football over the weekend. Did, did Monaghan lose? Uh, <laughs> Sorry I, to be the bearer of bad news, Val. But. Um, I, 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 much as I am tempted uh, towards... Because you uh, got the blame for this. I mean, we should make this the, is point. the point. This is, this is why it's going to be. People just thought, well, Maliki Clerken writes a lot about 
Gaelic Games. Yeah. He's presumably, he's from Ireland, he's presumably written this. Yeah. And much as I am tempted towards uh, cabinet confidentiality, as in <laughs> politics, yeah. no, I did not bloody write that. Uh, my good friend and desk colleague, Gavin, comes to <laughs> All right, you're naming and shaming. God, Absolutely. I was, I, was, I, was ju- I was expecting a denial that it was me, but, you know, hey, who knows who writes these things? No, no, no. Uh, and there. And not only that, when I uh, gave him... Uh, Abuse correlating to the amount of abuse I took on Twitter on Saturday night. <laughs> when I gave him that uh, conversant amount of abuse yesterday, he laughed it off uproariously. So <laughs> I, I don't think he's too worried about it. Okay. But uh, well, well done, Longford. Well Just done, so Longford everybody's uh, aware. Yeah. Well done. Margie, brilliant stuff as always. Thank you. Cheers. What you? What are you saying? You just a phony man. This is just for I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. You can't teach that. It was a notably busy weekend for one of the stars of that Clare team, Murph, Podge Collins. Very busy indeed, uh, because he'd finished up in Thurless at half eight on, uh, on Saturday evening, Clare having beaten Limerick, and him, well, one of the main contenders for Man of the Match, and whatever it is, three and a half plus 15 and a half, 18 hours later, odd hours later, uh, he comes on, uh, to help Clare beat Leash by a point in the All Ireland Football Qualifiers, uh, which is a pretty extraordinary, uh, a pretty extraordinary uh, uh, weekend for yeah. Podge Collins, um, and he really made a difference as well. I mean, he, he wasn't one of the three subs I think that kicked Clare's last three points to uh, Pip to Pip Leash in the last, I think it was in like the third minute of of injury time, but uh, like the the dual player argument is mainly based around you can't do the training let alone this idea that you can't play two championship games in less than 24 hours. Uh, but Podge continues to be the exception that proves the rule. Uh, where was I going there? Kira McGeehan, I wanted to mention, yeah, just before we kind of wrap things up here, because it was a stupendous achievement at the weekend, a bronze medal in the 1500 metres at the European Championships, and she spoke really well afterwards. Yeah, couldn't hide her disappointment <laughs> at uh, not uh, winning at least a silver. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, which is kind of the attitude you want. Uh, oh yeah, you want from your athletes, I suppose. Uh, but she was uh, absolutely convinced that another ten yards would have got her got her a silver at least. Uh, and you know, it, it is the the amount of athletes that go and do well at junior level, uh, as Kira did, uh, has done, I mean, whatever it is, six years ago now. Um, you know, you can they they can very easily get lost between the cracks. But the fact of the matter was that she's been absolutely ravaged by injuries for the last two or three years. So the idea that she's coming good this summer of all summers mm. uh, is pretty pretty good timing by her. Our Euros podcast, our final Euro twenty sixteen podcast. It was an emotional time. We tried to decide whether or not the tournament was a good one or not. I think we came to the conclusion that despite there not being very many good football matches, it was in fact. A, a, good very, football a very good football tournament. Go figure. Or just go listen to the podcast and then you can figure it out from there. Richie was in great form. Ken had his take on the moth infestation at the Stade de France. Really, it's all fun and games when you see it on TV, but when you're up close and seeing all that 
sludgy stuff or whatever it was Ken was describing. It just it doesn't get very pretty. I did I did forget to mention one more point on that that I had intended to talk about in the US podcast, Murph, and that was Eight Air Celebration, which I think is going to go down. I haven't heard that many people really talking about it. I think it could go down as one of the all-time great celebrations. If you look back at it, I counted seven teammates who tried and failed to stop him in his mm. tracks. The first three just bounced off, just tried to run him at full pace. He ran through, he's a big man, he ran through them, knocked him out of the way. And then the rest of them thought, okay, well, we'll try and just... I'll get him later in the pile-up. Yeah. They, kind of yeah, they kind of went for the out-happen rugby's tackle. They kind of tried more of a soak tackle. You know, yeah. just, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just try to slow him down here. So he said, yeah, that's fine. I'll just sidestep you boys. So off he went, um, managed to get past a few of them. And eventually he just was enveloped by everyone on the sideline. And there was nowhere further for him to go. But uh, well done, your friend, Owen, in a situation yeah. like that. A footballer we barely thought about before now and may never think about again. <laughs> but he provided us with one of the great moments of this championship. Sorry, thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening. Do listen to that Euros podcast. And in the meantime, take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.